So yeah, I have a face. <laughs> and I always wear my mask, so I have a face. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to the praise and worship team and to Louise, because that last song and the whole of worship is just so much what we're going to speak about. And I just want to encourage you this morning that when you need Jesus, you are met by love. And when you go through storms, he is your anchor. Um, and um, yeah, I just wanted to also, we were, we were praying earlier, and I just wanted to say that things like this can really um, churn up stuff, talking about marriage. So I pray that if that soil in your heart is turned and there's seeds of bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and resentment, that you allow Holy Spirit to take those seeds out, to weed your heart and replace those seeds with seeds of hope for your marriage, seeds of hope for your relationship, seeds of hope for your relationship in Him. And then um, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, um, this is not a trick question, by the way. Uh, who's perfect? Put your hand up. <laughs> Christy's perfect. Yes. Christy, you can go to the foyer and have some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also just to remind us that we all carry some degree of brokenness. That our emotional healing, our journey with God is really like an onion. People use that analogy a lot, but it's really true. You know, you think you've dealt with something and you come around the mountain and there it is again in a different format and, and Jesus is asking you to deal with it in a different way and come to a full healing. God wants us to experience life in abundance, the side of eternity. I mean, we've still got eternity to work stuff out, but he's really encouraging us to deal with our emotional baggage and things in our hearts that hold us back in our relationship with him now. So, okay, we'll go into my notes now. So use the clicker? Use the clicker. Okay, cool. All right. The confidence monitor. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Right. First gear. Clutch First in. Gear. <laughs> I'll get my clutch control right now. No. Okay, so this morning we're sharing from a place of having hope, then losing hope, and then finding hope again. When I was, gr when I was growing up, I didn't have hope in marriage. Then I became born again at 15 and started following Jesus and discovering what he said marriage should be like. And I discovered a hope in marriage. Hope that it would be awesome and would work out. And at university, I was part of this um, His People Church. It's now every nation, but it was His People Church. And really, those pastors, God bless them, they, was, they were greatly outnumbered by students. So it was like 50 students to one adult. And we were full of hormones and ideas about marriage. And they gave us such good teaching, such fundamental truth about what marriage is and what our relationship should be to Jesus and how that relates to marriage. So anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so I, I really understood what I should be for praying for in terms of a spouse. So when God told me I would have a husband, I was all rose-tinted lasers and euphoria. I had my God list of what I was looking for in a man and a word from the Lord about my future husband and believed I was going to get married and live in this Christian utopia of Hollywood stories we grew up with. So it was going to be awesome. It was going to be like so easy because that was the guy that God chose for me, so it was going to work out. Like, it was going to be so, so easy. And yeah, that, that didn't work out. <laughs> but we've, we've gained something much better. So through sharing this message, we are hoping to help others who might be finding themselves stuck in a place of despondency and indifference in their marriages. Um, so this is quite a serious one, but here we go. Okay. On the other side of the spectrum... If you are in an abusive marriage, maybe people listening online, if you're in an abusive mar marriage, please get help. Abusers and the abused hide it very well. And chances are, in your life, if you've not been abused 
or been the abuser, you have sat next to someone like that and been none the wiser. So please don't think that your situation is hopeless. Get help. And I'm not advocating in the least for anyone to stay in a place where they are being harmed or in danger. But through Jesus, I've seen someone who was capable of immense verbal, mental, emotional, and physical abuse come to know Jesus and do a complete 180 turn and seek emotional healing. A person who was capable of breaking their spouse's nose and giving countless black eyes and twisted wrists, of having the police called out by neighbors a number of times because of domestic violence, become a genuine follower and servant of Jesus and a new creation. That's not Paul, by the way, because he wouldn't be here today if that was him. <laughs> so this message may well be for people who have experienced abuse in their childhoods or past or in previous relationships and now view, those marriages, view their marriage through those lenses. Because of past experiences throughout my life, I have to keep battling against hopelessness every now and again. And if I don't watch myself, I keep expecting bad things to happen. So the analogy that the Holy Spirit showed me was it's knitting. It's like knitting. And you know, you drop a stitch, and Gray, when he's knitting, yes, my son knits, he just takes the knitting needle out, and then he unravels to the point of the drop stitch. Then he can't get the stitches back on, so then he just goes right back to the beginning and casts on again. And Holy Spirit is saying, don't do that. He is so capable of showing you how to pick up that stitch without pulling that needle out and losing all the hope that you have, all the hope that you have and your faith and your trust in him. So don't let the enemy come along and tell you that you need to rip that needle out and take everything apart. It's not necessary. He can pick up that stitch. God is more than capable of picking that stitch up in your life and pulling it back up to this, the needle without you having to pull everything apart. Okay. Sure, guys. <laughs> So, just to say that, um, yeah, all the days of the afflicted are bad, but a, con a glad heart has a continual feast. Guard your heart, guard your hope, and work on that. Don't give the enemy a foothold with that. So, Paul is the eternal optimist, and he carries God's hope well. He is able to get me out of that funk by encouraging me of God's goodness all the time. It's so important to purposefully guard your heart. So, carry that glad, 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 glad heart that has a continual feast. My encouragement from a place of working through this brokenness is don't lose hope and don't give up. Philippians 1, 6 says, He that began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In this marriage journey, face reality, but celebrate the progress you've made and don't just think about how far you have to go. Our heart this morning is that we can share on facing reality in our marriages and taking ownership realizing that we cannot do it in our own strength. And if we want the kind of marriage God wants for us, we are going to have to let the Holy Spirit in and let him lead us. The fact that the eternal creator king of this universe is wanting to help us in our marriages should in itself engender hope. The fact that Jesus would lay his life down for us and depict the church as the bride and the union between God and the church as a marriage is huge. If God holds marriage in such high esteem, and wants to guide us in it, then we need to know that we have big help and we have big hope. So a couple of ideas on what causes hopelessness in marriage. This is not exhaustive. I found like I started writing a couple of bullet points and it just went on and on and eventually I just thought I'm going to stop now. So apologies if this triggers you, but please allow the Holy Spirit to, to work on what is going on and is making you think and is provoking you or offending you. So comparison, 
especially through Facebook and Instagram and other social media, unrealistic expectations and, and ideals in marriage. Um, Paul is going to every day sit with me in the kitchen and chop vegetables and be my sous chef and help me cook. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Every night he's going to do a Bible study and pray with me. Gary's yeah, listening. Seriously, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and we do it at a different time of the day. <laughs> but, um, Paul, you don't have to feel Seriously, because he leads us spiritually in different ways. It doesn't have to be a cookie-cutter example of what marriage should be. These are the things that I was taught that I thought it had to be like this, and it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. So being swept up in cultural, worldly, or philosophical ideologies and not realizing your identity in God. You did read my notes. Yeah. You did read my notes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I'm, just, I'm teasing. <laughs> Remember, I'm the joker. You're, you're the straight card. <laughs> okay. Breakdown in communication. Husbands not feeling appreciated and cherished. Um, sorry, feeling appreciated and respected, and wives not feeling seen, heard, loved, and cherished. Um, blaming others for the hardships in marriage, not taking ownership of your behavior and choices, allowing yourself to behave badly because of past abuse, mimicking unhelpful behavior you have seen growing up, belittling and undermining behavior towards a spouse, flirting with others, pornography, and checking out emotionally, um, being harsh, nagging, sarcasm, and condescension, condescension, unwillingness to repent or change when in the wrong, so like harmful stubbornness, not stubbornness that you're sticking to your guns because you know it's the truth, you just defiant and you don't want to change because that's the way you think it should be, and then uh, living from a contractual mindset instead of a covenant mindset. If my physical and emotional needs are not being met and my life and my relational goals are not being attained, then I'm out. Um, financial strain and trying to, to um, so not operating from being filled with the Holy Spirit, but trying to do marriage in your own flesh and in your own strength. So what does Ephesians 5 verse 21 to 33 say marriage should be like? Can you read the scripture? I can. Oh, I don't even need the mic. It's magic. Thanks. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So that's a lot, and when I was looking up the context, I found a whole lot of interesting things. So in the context that Paul speaks into, it's not very different from our context today. Ephesus was, a, was the third largest city in the Roman Empire in the first century. 
And it was a prosperous place that had a lot of commerce and banking and a lot of industry. So after the city was built, it was dedicated to Artemis, the goddess of hunting, fertility, and childbirth. And there was a temple a mile outside the city, and many women were Artemis followers. In the Greco-Roman context, the family unit was respected only in that the wife ran the home and produced male heirs for her husband. Having an Ephesians 5 kind of marriage in this Ephesus context was very challenging. A woman was expected to be faithful to her husband, but her husband was allowed to have affairs and flings at will. There was no respect for the sacred union of a husband and wife. I'm sure it was very difficult to have hope in a situation like that. In the Hebraic Jewish context, a man viewed woman as lesser and part of man's daily prayer of the prayer routine was to pray, blessed are you, O God, king of, uni of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile or a slave or a woman. So that's not really a peachy or uplifting depiction of ladies. So on the opposite side to this, the woman who worshipped the goddess Artemis began a movement where they would hunt boars in the woods topless. So I know that's really weird, but that was to make a statement that they could do anything that men could do. So um, these women were demanding women's rights, and they started initiating divorce from their husbands. There's a complete other side. So Paul's letter into this context is actually revolutionary. He's not calling for men to dominate their wives and force them into functional roles, or for husbands to be dominated by their wives and be at their beck and call. He is calling for mutual submission, a relationship where a wife respects her husband and submits to his authority, but where the husband lives a sacrificial life for his wife, laying down his life as Jesus did for the church. I think we like to gloss over the bit where scripture says, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. So Paul is speaking about Jesus and the way he treats the church, his bride. But Paul is asking husbands to treat their wives in the same manner as Jesus treated the church. So a healthy Christian, Jesus-following marriage is the radical middle. It is not oppressive, abusive patriarchy, and it's not anarchist feminism but it's a relationship where both spouses live a spirit-filled, sacrificial kind of love. A relationship that is a covenant and not a contract, not a legal certificate where a couple are in it to seek their own relational, emotional, life goal, experiential, and physical needs to be met. But where both parties are called to respond in a different way. A wife respecting her husband and his efforts, where she submits to him as head of the household, and a man living a, a sacrificial kind of life, like Christ did for the church, making sure his wife is thriving, cherished, and fulfilled. And I'm going to allow my husband to speak. <laughs> oh, we'll talk at home. That's one. Yes, I love, I love that um, Ange just felt a prompting to prepare this. Been waiting 18 years for this. I'm really, really amped and proud already. Right. The Little Red Book. Once upon a time, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Right. Who believes your name is literally written in a literal book? The Book of the Lamb, the Book of Life. Everyone who doesn't believe it, it's true. How are you guys planning your marriages? Skis, but no, we have the wedding day, and then we go on the honeymoon, and then it rolls out, you know? I mean, just, it, it happens. Yeah, but then it's going to happen to you. So what Ange and I did 
is um, we bought a little red book in the beginning. It's quite cool how God works with things 18 years. It is 18 years ago now, huh? Yes, 18 years ago now. Never ask, never ask, do you want to move the chair? Can I move the chair? Are you happy? Fantastic. Um, God's very clever with how he times things. You know, back then, for the first two years, we were like, marriage is treacherous and very, very difficult. And so we decided to buy a book. And in that book, this is quite cute. 5th of October, 2000 and... My maths is terrible. What's 18 years? 2009. 2002. Anyway, uh, Paul and Angie got married. Dear sweet Angie, I love you forever, even if this book had one million pages. And you know, not all the pages say that. We decided to make this book honest. So there's some years we were like, wow, this was hard, but uh, I'm with you. <laughs> and oh my goodness, we've just had children. But the big thing was that when we got the book, we filled in the dates in advance. This book goes up to 2044. We will make our 50th. They're blank pages. We will write something on every page. Have you guys planned? Have you got a little red book? Have you got a little something where you go, for better or for worse, for sickness and health, richer and poorer, because many of us don't do poorer or sick? Eh? Get a little red book. A man from your clan. Like my Angie to tell this story. So being part of this amazing His People Church, they were very into the prophetic as well. And so when God told me I was going to have a husband, they were like, you should pray for a word for um, what he's going to be like or how you know he is your husband. And I went on a little outreach, and one of the ladies just stared at me, and she said, you're not going to marry a foreigner. You're going to marry someone from your own tribe and your, your own people. It's like, okay, <laughs> all right, <laughs> that's interesting. And then I met Paul, and he was so nice. And he was from Woodbank. So it's like, that's not my own tribe and people, I can assure you. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, right. Would you ever live in Durban, thinking like Durban's my own tribe and people I come from Maritzburg, but I wanted to be cool, so I said Durban. Would you, ever, would you ever live in Durban, thinking I can wangle it? Like, maybe this could be my husband because he wants to live in Durban. Um, and he was like, you know what? I was the only one of my brothers born in Durban. My whole family comes from Durban. Like, that's where my mom and dad met each other. And then I was like, okay. <laughs> so perhaps this is my husband. And that was just something that we held on to. You know, that's a promise that God made me. He made that promise to me from, from Genesis 24. And I held on to it. And then the lady didn't know. This lady that was on outreach with me didn't know that I had that promise. Um, and then she spoke to me about that, and it kind of confirmed the word that I had. And then, yeah, obviously, Paul was born in Durban. There you go. So what was amazing about that is um, Dale and I talk about this often, um, just as a great topic. Like, how do you know when you found your wife? Does God deliver everybody a wife and put a ribbon on her and say, here you go? Not a chance. And you know what? When God does do that, if he's pushing you into a covenant with someone, it's for a purpose. Like it's not like he's going to stick you with someone you're going to hate for the rest of your life. I love my wife, to bits. But with Angie and I, we knew that we were being put together for a purpose for God. And I think a lot of it is really interesting how colorful we are as different personality types. If you drew two columns on an Excel spreadsheet, you'd have positive and negative all the way down. Um, there are two kinds of people in this world. There's Gary, and then there's me. Where is Gary? Oh, he's teaching. 
Oh, I can't pick on him. Who's going to pick on? Okay, who, whose Windows desktop looks like an explosion of icons and folders? Quickly, hands up. Yeah, it is scary. You see. Yeah, yeah. And who of you guys are like, the goal of the day is to empty the inbox, clear the desktop, and have nothing but the recycle bin. And if I could remove that, I would remove that. There are two kinds of people in the world. Angie's desktop. Should, yeah, I know, Karen, definitely. Dude, it's the only way, honestly. I mean, it's like leaving McDonald's packets in your car. Like, see? And then other people are like, what's wrong with that? Guys, we must talk. You can't be Christian and have everything in a car. So Angie's definitely the organized chaos. I know where my folders are, blah, 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 blah. And I am the clean interface person. And that's how we are in life. Now, I tell you what. If you guys know your partner well, um, those two kinds of people don't go well together because it means the cupboards look like that as well. And dinner looks like that, and plans for holidays look like that, and packing the bags looks like that. So Angie and I have relied on that word all the time, every time, and that's why it was so bulletproof and watertight, because when we went through our rough times, we went, ah, oh, the Lord said. And that's where you start. You can't just lean on that. Many of us have heard that, and we've had troublesome relationships where the Lord said, and then it all blew up. But it is such a source of strength to hang on to your prophetic words in your marriage. Whether or not you make it out of your marriage or into your marriage. And I should have said this at the beginning. I just want to park this quickly with you guys. Singles, this is relational with the church and with all the people you're going to know in your life. And divorced people, no condemnation, no judgment. We love you to bits. This doesn't change anything. But as Leisha said last week, sometimes divorced people look back on their lives and go, I could have done that differently. I could have done that differently. And in the same breath, as Angie said, sometimes it's an abusive relationship, it's a mess, and honestly, the most loving, gracious thing to do is to get out. So just to clear that up. A man from your clan. So 10 years at a time. You guys have got to love my slides. Come on. Come on. Oh, you like my little... So we went through the first 10 years of our marriage my way. I was definitely that guy. I'd been raised to be the oak it wasn't even a husband is the head of the home thing. I was raised like everybody in the world is wrong, and I am right. The problem is that most of the time I was right, so I believed into it. <laughs> like right now, don't laugh at me, I'm right. So God said to us after our first 10 years, we got to a point where Angie and I were just like, this is ridiculous. My decisions in ministry have almost killed our family. Uh, my decisions in my creative career, which was a band at the time, have almost killed our family. My decisions in how to approach conflict between Angie's parents, my parents, and us, and how, you know, sometimes when a mother-in-law gets involved and it causes problems? I had let those things, yeah, we do. We can be frank, guys. It gets franker as we go. You'll meet Frank in a couple of slides' time. The way that I addressed those things was, I am right, everyone's wrong, and the first 10 years were a picture of marriage without Jesus. And so God said at the end of that 10 years, Paul, I'm going to give you another 10 years. And in this 10 years, I'm going to repeat in parallel all of the things and decisions that you made, but we're going to do it my way. We're going to do it God's way. And we are eight years into that now, and we have seen parallel after parallel. Car accident happened on this date. This happened then. Job change here. Joined a band then. We've watched the parallels. And I'm telling you now, you cannot do this without God. We are eight years into the second time round of the same marriage, thank goodness. We didn't just go and reboot and start with somebody else. But let God lead your marriage, guys. It, it's, it doesn't, it's not pretty when you try and lead your own marriage. So, so I knew I'd get that response. Rents and rentals. I thought I'd touch on parenting quickly, because I mean, if you're married and you've got kids, you know how they... The guys who are listening don't listen. 
care. You know how nobody tells you what it is like to physically deliver a child? Ladies, you know? So we can't say anything now. Sorry, Max. You know, <laughs> nobody tells you what is really involved. They just, oh, my love, it's going to be such a beautiful experience. And Louise is like, <laughs> nobody tells you how to operate kids. You might have seen your parents, you might have seen your grandparents, you get your own and you lose your mind. There are two secrets to raising kids, and we are very proud of what we've done with Em and Gray, and we don't get it right all the time. But there are two keys, and they're in the nature of God, and they're James, James Dobson principles. Number one, always be honest. It's been the hardest thing. You can never lie to your kids. If you say, I'm going to smack you if you touch that one more time, that's it. You have committed, and our little guys have got to smack. You, when you promise something, it happens. I promise next week it's going to be boys, girls, we're going to give milkshakes at Wimpy. It doesn't actually matter within reason what you've got to cancel. You are representing the Father heart of God by not lying. And the other thing is be consistent. Just if you're the father who never rocks up, well then fine, that's your problem. You're not a very good father. With grace, I love you guys. But if you're the father who rocks up, maintain that. Your kids start learning their life rhythms and patterns from that. And so there are no perfect parents in marriage and there are no perfect children in marriage. But we have a perfect father and we should be emulating him. That picture, four children for sale, inquire within. It might be yours. Um, you might have spoken a bit quickly because that's, they thought it was posed. It's not posed. They found, they found the family. They found the girls. They were actually sold to pay the rent. So no matter how you're doing, you're not doing that badly, guys. <laughs> hey, hey? Uh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> Men are from Mars. True story. See, the girls know. Men are from Mars. You want to kick off and tell people about some of my crazy what-whats? This is my fun part. Remember the spreadsheet with polar opposites? So that's exactly it. I don't want to. He wants me to share on stuff about how different we are, and I'm like, oh gosh, I really don't. I don't want to talk about that. You know. I, but um, I was thinking about funny anecdotes. Other people don't like it that the toilet seat is up and you didn't change the loo rule and stuff like that. Paul's never like that. Um, he just does very eccentric things. Like to declutch now, we have to watch. Uh, I would equate it to paint drying. We're watching a series on cold starts. What's cold starts? So cold starts are beautiful. In Siberia, the cars get down to minus 30 degrees. So, no, Chrissy, you're judging me already, dude. Honestly, let me get over the start line, then you... Okay, cool, there we go. So in Siberia, the engines get down to minus 30 degrees Celsius. I'm a big fan of the Otto cycle. Anyone know what the Otto cycle is? It's the diesel cycle. And so glow plugs have to heat up the cylinders and you're falling asleep as I speak. Thanks, Adrian. Lawlessness banned. So what you do is you watch these videos, literally of guys pointing at their dashboards, turning the key, and you watch how long it takes to start the motor. And I watch all day and all night, and it's incredible because these powerful engines... Adrian, bro, you're dropping me hard here. So anyway, that's what it is. A cold started video, I kid you not, is just watching a car start in the cold. Nothing else, they don't go anywhere, they start it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jeez, I'm getting shot down by everybody. So basically, I think sometimes it's not really about the gender roles. I think sometimes it's just personality as well. And as Paul said, we are chalk and cheese, but we get on so well. We actually, I think it's because we have the same value set and we understand what we want from life. We love God. And that makes it so much easier because that's our common goal. We love God. We want to follow God. And then when you have these terrible, terrible disparities, it's okay, you know, okay, so we'll watch one normal thing and then we'll watch a cold start, love. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
Ange loves cooking shows, and I've tried. I can't watch other people cook food I can't eat. But, you know, so then we, we almost have, like, scheduled time with the TV. The TV is the third, <laughs> third party in our marriage, but we know this. Men are from Mars, women are from? No. Women are from Jesus. I told you. No, guys, shut up, I'm earning points here. So women are from Jesus. Okay, let's not even be funny. So God breathed into the soil and made Adam. Then he went, oh, this is not the best plan. And so he snuck in and pinched a piece of Adam, which is a bit like, Lord, thou shalt not steal, but fine. And Jesus gave us women. Now, what I want to reinforce here is, gentlemen, as a gentleman who struggles to take it from my wife sometimes, they are incredibly intuitive and wise and mix in with all of that emotional power that can really sense what's going in a situation. They can, they, well, Louise, I love you, so yes, but we'll edit that out just now. So, um, in all of that, a heightened spiritual sensitivity and EQ sensitivity will mean that ladies are vulnerable. They are vulnerable to misunderstanding and to outbursts. But that's okay, because guys, we have, we're stupid too. So what we'll do is we'll set up a trajectory with our understanding with our wives, and we'll go, oh, she's getting emotional again. And we'll totally shut off what the Lord's trying to say to us, because the Holy Spirit, wherever you want to put God on a spectrum, is more of the maternal nature. And when you are married, your wife is bringing something incredible to your marriage. Women are from Jesus, and they are endowed with something special that makes me say confidently uh, on recording and broadcast, I'm a man, I'm not going to be a lady, I'm not going to be a wife. Not all things can be equal, and I need Ange to be a fully empowered, released woman and wife to actually bring her part to our marriage. I don't get to own the marriage. Women are from Jesus. Let's talk about Jordan now. You started singing earlier. So, look at my graphics. Why is nobody laughing? You can't see it. It's a square peg in a round hole. So, guys... I have spoken to so many men. And ladies, I think you guys need to have, um, maybe when we were at the dad's camp, you need to have one of those red wine sessions where you just be honest about what's going on. The world has set up such an idea of what sex is supposed to look like that honestly, guys, when it doesn't work for years, that either you get humiliated and you back off or your sex life just dies. I know friends who I've spoken to as recently as last week who haven't had sex for two years. Now, okay, some, unfortunately, some of you guys are going, yeah, it's been two and a half years for me. It's not healthy. It's not healthy, guys. You need to talk about this. And I can tell you now the depictions and the teaching of sex that we see in the world on TV and that are passed down in casual locker room conversation are not helpful. Sex is about an intimacy. It's about figuring it out together. And any template you've got of how that should work, if you try and apply the template to something that is absolutely incongruous, square peg in a round hole, you are going to struggle and see no intimacy and no joy in sex. It's actually become a burden where you're like, oh, good grief, he wants sex again. Then you know you've got it wrong. If, something, if sex is something that you just, you cringe about and you don't want, then you need to find out what it is that both of you understand about sex, and that's going to take a very intimate, open, vulnerable conversation. And so Ange and I talk about it. We, we just, I don't know, maybe we just got that awesome ability to go, hey, so this is that and that's the other. We're very candid. But you, that, that is the tagline. You need to talk about 
6. Why? Because Corinthians 7, 5, 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, and for a time, stop, time's up, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So ladies, if you're saying, I need to pray, not tonight, okay, we, we can talk. But if you're just like, I've got a headache, come on guys. And men, same thing, same thing, same thing. Because if you're not getting your sex in your marriage, you are definitely getting it outside of your marriage. Pornography, locker room talk, blah, blah, blah. Stop it. Then come together again. This is hardcore. So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In a healthy, intimate sexual relationship, as far as is possible, temptation is diminished. You're not flirting. You're not watching porn. You're not, you're not, you're not. So you, know, you guys need to know, as, as married couples, that at the very best, not honoring and celebrating sex and talking about it and discussing it is setting your partner up for temptation. And then the sad thing for me is I've heard of a couple of couples who fall into temptation, something, okay, so you get a full-blown affair, which there is biblical right to approach divorce for, and then you get just a pornography issue. Just. And I know of marriages that have broken, ended, divorced because of something as simple as pornography. Protect that sexual thing. Trouble! You can bank on it! So I had a discussion with um, an elder at another church previously, and we were discussing finances. And maybe the finance guys are going to come talk to me after this, but that's, that's cool. I'm here to learn as well. This thing of like, you've come into covenant, everything goes into a melting pot. And the husband can't buy a new fishing rod unless the wife says so. And the wife can't buy shoes unless she's got a secret credit card. And this is the truth. And I know it because I've seen it and I've heard it. No, no, that's the credit card I don't tell Lee about. What? So you sow this thing of creating a pool of financial mess where you have to ask each other permission for what's yours and it causes you to get sneaky and to... I've got a friend, um, I won't mention his name because his wife might be watching... Um, when I take him out to buy guitars, he has those things invoiced as something else. So when they show up on the, on the account, it doesn't show up brand new Telecaster from Tom's. It shows up as needed new windscreen wipers for the car, you know. Point is, your finance next to your sexual relationship is something that can either break or build your relationship. What Ange and I do, and finance guys, please come talk to me if I'm wrong, not if it's just different. Ange has her account, always has. I have my account, always have. My understanding, my understanding is that I, as far as possible, am the provider. I cover all the overheads, as far as possible, and then Ange and I have an open book. Here's my account, here's my account. Can you take care of the kids' school? Can you take care of the food? Can you take care of... So we have an elevated conversation about our finance rather than just a melting pot of, oh, well, there's money in there, and as long as we trust each other, guys, you're setting each other up to fail. Now, you figure that out for your family, 100%. But for Ange and I, we love that I trust Ange 1,000% with what she's doing for our family with her money. And anyway, this elder said to me, but now you're in covenant. So now it all actually has to go into one pot. And I said, yes, but my covenant, my understanding, is still to be the ultimate provider for my family. And that's more difficult if there's this mishmash. But financial trouble, number one leading cause of divorce. Cause of divorce. It still is. Got to watch out for your finances. There's the two big triggers. 
sexual, sexual, sexual intimacy, shame, he just died. Old Sean Connery. Anyway, segue. Um, and, and financial trouble. Happy ever after is a choice. Gary has taught us that uh, Jesus has a tattoo on his thigh. So if you're mildly offended by what's happening there, you're just going to have to go with it. Tattoos are not the end all of uh, naughtiness. Happy ever after is a choice. When you got married, you effectively got a tattoo. And those who are divorced will tell you, that tattoo, even though I took it off and I wrote Boki underneath it, that tattoo's still there. And it itches and it burns a little. And even though I had it removed, it's got a scratch. Are you prepared to be married to the church, not Gary's church, the church, and to your husband or your wife, as if it's tattooed into your skin. And you can't take that out. I promise you can't take it out, unless you're going to heat up condensed milk and burn off the top layer of your skin. All kinds of daft things people have done to remove these things. Happily ever after is a choice. The divorced guys will tell you the same thing, to a degree, unless it was abusive. And I can tell you, as a very happily, very, very, very happily married guy, who's married to that cluttered desktop. Gary, you're here. We're talking about the cluttered desktop chaos. And then the guy who has one document on his desktop. That it is a choice. So much of it is a conscientious choice to get up and love Ange like God's going to hold me accountable for her. I'm going to touch on her notes now because I listen. I'm an obedient husband. It literally says here, Paul, sharing on having hope, mutual submission, Mutual submission, the radical middle. Ange is called to be a wife and a mother, biologically and by spiritual calling. I am called to be a father and a provider, biologically and by spiritual calling. Are you choosing that? God has left us as the best man to the church. Do you actually know what the traditional role of the best man is? The best man is your guy that you trust so much that you leave him alone with your soon-to-be wife. And his job is to drive her around, look after her, pamper her, feed her, water her, whatever. <laughs> and so when he, you get to the church, she is in the best possible condition. We've been left to look after the church. When Jesus comes back and he says, so Paul, what have you done with Lifehouse? That's it. He's left me as a best man. And when he says, Paul, what have you done with Ange? I can't be like, oh, well, you know, the woman you left with me, something about apples and snakes. I have to say where I died. Where I died. Scripture tells us, men, be prepared to die for your wives. And ladies, honor your husband as the head of the home, as we honor Jesus as the head of the church. Don't try and do marriage in your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit as an operating system. I love the way that Anne just put that. You have to have it installed. Otherwise, two people pretending that they can reconcile their differences and force the other to clean up their Windows desktop or to... It, it's not going to happen. But when two people have one tension of God being at the top, then that marriage can fly. I'm prepared to say that if you don't have God at the top and your marriage is winning, you've got something else at the top. And I've seen it. There's an alcohol abuse or there's a gambling addiction or there's something. You will have a God in your marriage. You better choose who that God is. Husbands show sacrificial love where there is compromise that causes, causes your wife to thrive. I want to watch paint dry. Ange wants to learn how to cook better meals. 
which is productive, which is going to make Ange flourish, not watching cold starts in Siberia. And it starts with things like that, guys. Cycling on a Saturday, golf on a Sunday. Does that give Ange space to thrive and connect with friends and do her things, or does it actually just detract from her relational quality time? Am I prepared to die to my sport, to my activities? Seek out spiritual formation. Read the word and let it sanctify you. That is the owner's manual, guys. We have to be reading the word. Husbands, love yourselves. Too many men hate themselves and do not understand their role and identity as a man. Fearing being seen as an oppressor, they shrink back and become apathetic. Okay, guys, I love that God has prepared us. How are we doing for time, Gary? Will you shut us up when we've gone too far? You don't know. You speak to Madiba. You'll shut us up when we've gone too far. Okay. Um, I love the way... <laughs> I love the way God always sets up a preach. And we say we have post-preach dissonance. After the preach, you go home and think, oh, what did I just say? But you have this pre-preach tension. And we're surprised that this morning we got up and we stood in the kitchen and Ange said, we made it. We made it. We didn't kill each other. We set this preach up and, and we're going, uh, that's amazing. And Ange said, we're still trying. <laughs> and I love it because it's true. And so I felt a massive acceleration in the last two weeks. The Lord just opened massive opportunities of conflict, whatever you want to call them, cold face moments in a marriage, for Ange and I to address some stuff. So Ange comes through and she's busy working on the preach and the computer won't save the thing and it sends the thing and send the thing to the thing and then I forwarded the wrong thing and the thing wasn't the thing. And so Ange gets like, I love you, but I'm going to kill you. And so I say, Ange, you don't understand computers. No, 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 no. How beautiful is this? Gentlemen, listen to me. Listen to me. Husbands, love yourselves. Too many men hate themselves and do not understand their role and identity as a man. I wasn't being facetious. In fact, I didn't even say it like that. I said, Ange, you don't understand computers. You are not the trained technician. That's my background. I'm a certified Microsoft product support specialist. And so I said to Ange, you don't understand it. This is how it works. This is what it did. It wasn't my fault at all. Let's fix it. And we fixed it, and I kid you not, 10 minutes later, Ange sent me a little message, because when, when we want to say intimate things, she just sends a little message like under the, under the door, you know? And she said, thank you for understanding me and letting me just like, ah! because that's who we are. Sometimes we just need to vent. We just need to get it out because we're frustrated at the, at the situation. But here's the encouragement, gents. If you're speaking from a place of love and wanting to build a person up, you can actually say, Greg, you don't understand computers. Let me help you. And Greg can say, Paul, you don't understand finance. That thing you are doing with your separate bank accounts is mental, and I can accept it. Men, you need to step up and lead. You cannot live this life of terrified about my wife. I understand this thing of happy wife, happy life. But if that is framed in the wrong context, the way that Derek said, if you read the word, but then you interpret it differently, it becomes your word and not the originator's word. Happy wife, happy life means pursue a life of happiness for your wife, underpinned by the gospel and led by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean just, just make her stop whining. Just let her watch Kukudur. I don't care. She can watch Gordon Ramsay's what, what, I just I'll go and watch Paint Dry. That is not leadership. That's cowardice. You're being a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Peacemaker is someone who just goes, shh, shh, shh. it's okay, lovey. Do you need another? He has a credit card. You don't solve problems like that, guys. Step up. I'm alive. I'm alive today, and Angie's still smiling. I'll see what happens when we get home. But, but you can say constructive, correct things. It'd be like saying to Angie, I know you've got this 
this wound on your arm here, but my love, it will go away with time. Don't worry. Meanwhile, she needs to see a doctor. And Anne just had to tell me straight on some really awkward things, like, Paulie, that's not on. That's not who you are. It embarrasses me. It's actually, it's, it's humiliating, so please don't do that anymore. And it's awesome, because I can take it, and I take it. If you can't take it, there's something wrong. There's a tension, probably a sexual intimacy tension, or a financial tension, or a relational tension. Fix it. But men, lead. Come on, man. We are members of his body. Be in community and ask for help. We don't know everything, but I can tell you now, Ange and I have been there and back. We got the t-shirt. And if you are struggling with these things and you just want to have a one-on-one -on -one with me, I won't speak for Ange. But if you want to have a one-on-one -on -one with me about the guy stuff, guys, we are in an incredible community up here in Joburg North. We actually have men who can solve problems. Let's not be chicken. Even if you're bigger, smarter, and older than me. Okay, because everybody in this room is bigger and smarter than me. Oh, I don't have any hang-ups from a trick. Anyway, be one flesh. Don't let worldly influence, family and other people come between you. Oh, my Lord. Okay, grace for anyone who's going through this right now. I have two friends who, when I ask them, but why do you let that happen? Yeah, because her mother says, what? What? Your in-laws do not get to speak directly into your marriage. We have scripture for it, and I can tell you I have life experience for miserable men and women who are like, yeah, but I don't like being around because then her mother says, then his father says. And I watch these families getting trapped in a bubble, and you know what happens? When those people pass away, that marriage has got no foundation because now the mother and father who used to input, constructively or non-constructively, that goes away, and you're left standing there like a kippy with all this tension going, what would dad say? We need to grow up. We can't be man-agers anymore, as Ange put in somewhere. We go from teenagers to becoming adolescents, and then some of us never progress. We grow old, but we never grow up, in the words of Alexander Fenter. We need to grow up. We can't be teenagers anymore. We can't be managers. We can't walk around pretending that everything's just going to work out okay. You're going to be held accountable for how you present the church to the Lord and how you present your spouse to the Lord. Oh, I love this. Ange left me to read it. Woman, respect your husband. I'm teasing. Or am I? Even when the effort is clunky and disappointing, acknowledge his journey and effort and watch what happens. So this is the most beautiful thing. When I started out getting married, uh, getting married, being married to Ange, there were a bunch of things I did very wrong. Shocking things. Shocking things I don't even want to tell you now. You can come talk to me about them. Like embarrassing things. Like, what was wrong with you, dude? And when Ange brought them up, because I was actually naive to them, I said, okay, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know if I can fix it, but I promise I'm going to get better every day and I'm going to head that direction. And I think Ange could stand up here now and say it confidently, without coercion, that I've got better every single day. And I will keep getting better every single day. And I will make mistakes, and I will keep dropping things, but Ange has always honored my journey. She's like, okay, you're married to me. And that means that, number one, I am your helpmeet. And I have the EQ to go, oh, dude, I don't know who taught you that, but that, that is, that's stupid. You, you, can't, you can't behave like that. And it's right. And that's what we're here for. I'm here to make Ange win. And she's here to make me win. And as, as islands, here's the temptation to believe that if I wasn't married, I would actually be better off. I'd be all right now. Guys, I'm not saying that marriage is the only way, but you're talking nonsense. Like, this is an intimate, cold-faced relationship where you can learn everything about yourself and about another person. Marriage is guaranteed to work. In one sense, it's the ultimate eternal model of relationship. So think about this. I love extrapolating this thing of before the laying of the foundations of the earth, 
Jesus was already there. Jesus is already there. Because if Jesus is, is or was already there, and he is or was already predestined to be crucified, what for? To come back for his bride. And so marriage has always been the model. Since before the laying of the foundation of the earth, before Adam and Eve, before, before man, God was into marriage. And so here's the hope, guys. And I know... You know, you, you know I'm talking to you. You expressed this morning that you had doubt. Maybe doubt about what happened previously and doubt is about what is going to happen. Marriage is a guaranteed win if it is led by the Holy Spirit and you are reading Scripture to find out how to use it, how to appropriate it, how to be married. 